The following is a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society. Welcome, this is Grace in Focus, a radio ministry and podcast about faith and grace and just how the Bible says we get eternal salvation. Our goal is to be without ambiguity about these things, and so we're glad that you're with us today. Jesus needed to go through Samaria to talk to a Samaritan woman. He talked to her about asking him for living water. What did he mean by living water? That is our question for today, and our discussion leaders are Bob Wilkin and Ken Yates. Right after I mention our website, faithalone.org. You can find there books and articles and resources that are designed to help you in the things that we talk about each day here on Grace in Focus. Now to our discussion. Gentlemen. Welcome to Grace and Focus. Ken, I think you've got another question. Is that right? Yes, I do. I have a question here from Elliot. All right. Elliot has read your book, A Gospel of Doubt. That's a book that's dealing with John MacArthur's book, The Gospel According to Jesus. And what I do is I go through chapter by chapter using his chapter titles, using his section titles, and following it with the verses he discusses, interacting with him. And I think that is helpful for people who've read the gospel according to Jesus. And by the way, it's also available on YouTube. I have all 24 chapters, little five minute videos on each chapter. Just go to YouTube, Grace Evangelical Society. Be sure to subscribe at the bottom. Well, Elliot asked a question. He says in chapter four, dealing with Jesus and the Samaritan woman, What do you think Jesus meant when he told the woman that if she knew who it was that was speaking to her and would ask him, she would receive living water? I know that you do not believe in a sinner's prayer, but it seems that Jesus was telling her that asking is a way to receive the gift of God eternal life. Well, did you notice that Eliot did not quite get the verse right, nor did the person he quoted? When you look at John 4.10, it's not everlasting life for the asking. It's something else. It's the living water. Yeah. So could you read that, Ken? John 4.10? Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, a lot of people mistakenly think, and by the way, I was there for a while, that living water is everlasting life. Because you think, well, if you drink the living water, you have everlasting life. So I'm drinking everlasting life. But no, drinking is an illustration of faith. In fact, in John 6, 35, he says, He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. There he's saying that the never thirsting in John 4.14 is because of believing in Jesus. So it's when we believe in Jesus, we get everlasting life. The living water is Jesus. The living water is ultimately the promise of everlasting life. It's the message of verse 10, the gift and the giver. So the living water would be who he is and what he has to give you. Right. And the who he is, is Messiah. Right. And that's John four twenty five and 26. We know that Messiah is coming and Jesus says, I speak to him, he, and what he gives is everlasting life. And that's verse 14. Notice whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. He's talking about the water in Jacob's well, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. 
But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So the living water is an everlasting life. It springs up into everlasting life. The living water is the message that Jesus is the Christ who guarantees unending everlasting life to all who simply believe in him. So asking him would involve, who are you? Well, that's what she does in verse 25. Exactly. When first she says, you aren't greater than Jacob, are you, who gave us this well? Check, yeah, he is. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Check, he is, (laughs) but he's greater than that. We know Messiah is coming. Then later, when she believes he is the Messiah, she goes to the village and said, could this be the Messiah? And Hodges suggests the reason she asks rather than affirms it is because she had low reputation. And she thought the men of the village would be more likely to accept her witness if she asked rather than affirmed. If the living water involves the gift, which is eternal life, and who he is, which is the Christ, the living water is not equal to eternal life. No, what it would be, it's appropriate to ask God to give me the saving message. And that's perfectly fine. I mean, that's more or less what happened with Cornelius, right? Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 is a God-fearing Gentile. Now, whether he was specifically saying, Lord, show me what I must do to be saved, we're never told. But we are told that his prayers and his psalms and his uh, alms ascended to God. And in Acts eleven fourteen, he says, send for Simon Peter and he will tell you words by which you and your household must be saved. Right. So essentially, Cornelius was asking... What do I need to do to be saved? We have an exact example of that in Acts 16.30, the Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? He had heard Paul and Silas singing in the jail at midnight, and he had heard some of what they had said, but he evidently didn't hear their entire message. And so he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's answer is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He asked, Paul gave him the living water. Well, can't we say that even here, the woman is asking, once she has this conversation, I know that Messiah is coming, so she's saying, could you be it? And also even, well, where do you get this living water? She's wanting, well, what is this living water that you're talking to me about? And what's interesting is, like Nicodemus in John chapter 3, she gets what he's saying, but she's thinking in physical terms. She says in verse 15, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Okay, give me this water so I don't ever have to come to this well and drink. No, she's got it wrong. She's still going to have to drink physical water for her physical life. But what she's not going to have to do is keep on going through any sort of religious rituals, which the Samaritans were legalists. And by the way, guess what happens in verse 26? You remember that one? In verse 26, Jesus tells her who he is. Then, verse 28, the woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She went there to get water. She evidently draws water. She gets it in her water pot. And now, instead of taking the water pot back... She leaves it behind. Does that make any sense? She had something better. And some commentators have said that the water pot with the old water represents the old religion. It represents the dead water that couldn't give everlasting life. 
And so she was leaving behind her legalistic work your way to heaven kind of religion. And she was taking the living water with her because remember it says it's going to be a fountain in you springing up into everlasting life. Well, now this fountain can overflow into other people. Yeah, the water that she had come to draw the well with, that was outside of her. That's why she always had to keep coming back for our physical strength. But now she has it. Like in 1 John 5, 9 to 13, if we have the testimony of God, then it's within us. So this living water now is part of her. And that's true of all of us, right, Ken? Once we believe in Christ for the free gift of everlasting life, we know about the living water and we're able to share it with other people. And coming back to Elliot's question, is it appropriate to tell an unbeliever, hey, you should ask God to teach you about the living water? Shouldn't we encourage unbelievers to pray and ask God to show them if John 3.16 is true? Yeah, absolutely. Where do I find eternal life at? Yes. Ask yeah. them to pray for that. And maybe say to them, hey, you should read the Gospel of John and prayerfully ask God, is it really this simple? With the woman at the well, she didn't pray. You know, the whole question was centered around a, a saying a sinner's prayer of asking. She didn't do that. Right. In fact, she didn't even explicitly ask him, are you the Messiah? She implicitly did that. Right. She didn't explicitly ask him, what is the gift of God? Right. He gave that to her. He said, you know. When she asked a question, well, what is this water you're talking about? Right. Yeah, right. So in a sense, she was asking about it. Sure. And by the way, it's interesting. You know the expression, the gift of God. Can you think of another place in the New Testament where we're told that salvation is the gift of God? Oh, yeah. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right. Yeah. By grace, you've been saved. Through faith. through faith. It's a gift of God. Same language. Not a prayer. It's a gift. And you get the gift when you believe. Right. You can ask for God to give you the saving message. That's great. But we don't ask for everlasting life. Now, please don't misunderstand me. If you're a person that said, I asked God to give me salvation, and then later I heard the saving message and I was born again, that's great. But you weren't saved because you said, God, please save me. You can't be saved by being an unbeliever and say, God, please save me. Right. You have to believe that Jesus is the Messiah who guarantees the gift of God to those who believe in him. The point is, you don't get it because you ask for it. You get it because you believe in him. And what you're supposed to ask for is the living water. Now, it's okay if you want to ask for the life, but just realize God's not going to give it to you because you say please save me. He's going to save you once you believe. So hopefully he will interpret your Lord, please save me as please give me the saving message. And I guess the Holy Spirit is there to intervene. If that's really your intention, you want to know the saving message. But if you think by saying the words, Lord, save me, that you're somehow going to get saved? I nope. don't think God's obligated to answer that prayer. Nobody in Scripture is saved by saying a sinner's prayer. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. Right. One quick story. A friend of mine told this story of a traveling preacher took a cab from the airport into the city he was going to and witnessed to the cab driver. And the cab driver prayed the sinner's prayer and was just overjoyed that he was now saved. After the preacher left, he was talking to one of the other cab drivers. He said, I've become a Christian. I've been saved. And the guy goes, that's great. What do I need to do? 
And he said, well, I can't remember what that prayer is. He says, we got to get him to give us that prayer because there's a sinner's prayer. And if you pray that prayer, then you get saved. And when I heard the story, I thought, isn't that sad? People think there's some magic prayer that's going to save you. No, it's Jesus that saves because he's the giver of the gift of God. All right, well, thank you all and keep grace in focus. Thank you both for that great discussion. Would you be interested in some free ebooks on topics you hear on this program? Well, if you are, you need to come visit us at faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. On the site, we've got all kinds of free materials, but one of our popular options is our free ebooks on a range of subjects. They're designed to help you mature and grow in your understanding of the faith and scripture. So come visit us at faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. We are so thankful for our financial partners who keep us on the air. Every gift is tax deductible and very much appreciated. If you'd like to find out how you can give, go to faithalone.org. Would you like to have a chat with Dr. Bob or one of the guests here on the program? Let me tell you how to reach out to the team. You can get us on our email address, which is radio at faithalone.org. That's radio at faithalone.org. And on the next Grace in Focus, why are the exact same seven Greek words found in both Romans 8.1 and Romans 8.4? Was it a mistake? We'll talk about it on the next Grace in Focus. This is the Grace Evangelical Society reminding you to always keep grace in focus. The proceeding has been a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society.